everybody, did you know that if you become a member of The Incomparable, you don't have to hear any of the ads that we insert in these episodes? It's true. Plus, you get bootlegs and a whole Slack community. And there's a special edition of this very podcast with extended material as well as no ads and so much more. Check it out. Theincomparable.com slash members. The Incomparable, number 631, September 2022. Welcome back, everybody, to The Incomparable Podcast. I'm your host, Jason Snell. And in this episode, we are going to be discussing another time travel movie. That's right. The summer of time travel begins, continues, or ends, depending on the sequence in which you listen to these episodes. In this episode, we're going to discuss Nicholas Meyer's Time After Time from 1979, a film I have read a lot about, but until this week had never seen. And I have thoughts and I I will share them with you because that's what we do on podcasts. Also on podcasts, we usually have more than just me because that would be a monologue and that's less good. Uh, The people who are going to also presumably have thoughts about time after time because they volunteered to be on this are Monty Ashley. Hello. Hi, Jason. You've never seen a movie that's largely just a travelogue about San Francisco? (laughs) <laughs> in 1979 it's pretty pretty oh man i i i waited for having worked in san francisco for a couple of decades i would not have appreciated it nearly as much if i had uh seen it before i worked in san francisco because i recognize stuff that i wouldn't have recognized before uh david j Lore is also here hello i say this podcast is tastier than the one i ate at this morning <laughs> g mcdonald joins us hi Hi, and I believe you are referring to that Scottish place, and I take offense at that. (laughs) (laughs) And Moises Chuyan. Hello. Uh, Was there another gentleman like me, uh, dressed like me, uh, who came here to change money? (laughs) (laughs) Um, So this, this is a movie, okay, what I knew about this movie going in is, imagine a movie, (laughs) elevator pitch, H.G. Wells, author of The Time Machine, actually has a time machine and he has to use it to travel into the present day 1979 in order to stop wait for it jack the ripper who has stolen his time machine and come to the present day 1979 in order to continue his killing spree and you know what that is the plot of time after time (laughs) uh a fun uh movie uh with lots of shots of 1979 san francisco um, also, Nicholas Meyer, oh. I just want to point out, one of the creative movers behind Star Trek's 2, 3, 4, and 6, um, many plot elements of which appear <laughs> yeah. time after time. He loves sending people through time to San Francisco, doesn't he? Yeah, for them to do gla- pairs of glasses. And pawn things. Yep, yeah. and, and, and be fish out of water on the streets of San Francisco. It's Yeah, almost get hit. Amazing. In crosswalks. Amazing. Um, this is so I'll just I'll put I I really enjoy this movie. This is a fun movie. This is a this is a <laughs> I, I, I going in, I was really hopeful that I would enjoy it. And I did. It it does exactly what it says on the label. It is a 1979 film with not a particularly huge budget, uh, but you see the street, streets of San Francisco and there's a there's a creepy killer and there's some plot twists and there's romance. It's a it's a uh, 
because of course it's a time traveling romance. It, it definitely is that. <laughs> Starring, and I should mention them now, our, our our big players: Malcolm McDowell as H.G. Wells, David Warner. A moment of a uh, m- moment of honor of silence for uh, for the great David Warner, who is uh, mm-hmm. here playing. Oh, Doctor Stevenson, Jack the Ripper. And Mary Steenburgen, who is a bank <laughs> clerk who falls in love with H.G. Wells in 1979. With an inexplicable New York accent. Yeah. It's so weird. <laughs> when I think of this movie, because I saw it in 1979 or 1980 or so. Wow. When I think of this movie, I, I only remembered Malcolm McDowell. And for the last several decades, I've been assuming he played Jack the Ripper because he's Malcolm McDowell. <laughs> yeah, right? He has to be the villain. <laughs> Well, now you got right. David Warner, he doesn't. He's giving off like <laughs> Richard Thomas, John Boy Walton vibes. It's it's kind of amazing. I feel like David, they, they could have probably switched parts and it would have been fine. Yeah. yeah. Honestly, yeah. it would have yeah. worked. I don't know. I'm going to. Uh... <laughs> yeah, not not that many years after Clockwork Orange, uh, he he was kind of trying to get out of, uh, of, of being, uh, you know, a bad, nasty guy. Gene, you're gonna you're gonna object because yeah. David Warner is is uh he, I don't he's, know sometimes he's he, likable often he's not he is he, but he no I just mean he was he was the thing from that movie that made the biggest pre- impression on me wow. when I saw it in 1979 and I didn't know who anybody was back then um I I just was in college and um well, that's not what I was studying but uh. I hadn't seen Clockwork Orange yet, uh, oh. for sure, because I I wouldn't have seen that at 19. But David Warner gave me nightmares for decades. And the first time I saw him in something else, I was like, oh, my God, there he is again. He's so scary. <laughs> and he can be nice. In fact, he can be nice seeming in this movie. Um, and I'm with H.G. Uh, Wells' housekeeper. I'm pretty shocked that he turned out to be so horrible. Mm. He's he's even the doctor in one of Big Finish's alternate Doctor Who oh, yeah. stories, which is oh, kind really? of great. Yeah. 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 yeah the Doctor Who Unbound series. Yeah, David Warner, yeah. who who did he passed away earlier this year. Um, especially for fans of genre uh, movies and TV, like he he mm-hmm. it's that classic, like he's an amazing actor who spent so much time on the stage in the UK and then they give him these parts. And I, I think he famously <laughs> has a story where where he's he's talking to, oh, what is it? I don't think it was Patrick Stewart, but it was it was another very famous, well-regarded um uh actor, and they were doing Shakespeare on stage in London. And he and he told this story for years afterward, which is his he says, Well, uh, oh man, what we're closing up here. What are you doing next? And 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 the, the other actor is like, Well, I'm gonna do Macbeth and 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 uh what what about you, David Warner? And David Warner says, Well, I'm doing something called The Secret of the Ooze. <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> oh that you know, but the check's clear and he brings gravitas and class to the movies he's in. But this uh, movie is not one of those. This movie is <laughs> it, it's is, good. It's it's a good it's a good movie, and I would actually say not as rare then as maybe now, but a, a, a good genre movie, a good time travel movie with that doesn't sp- spend a lot of money on anything right it's just characters and it's the romance and the and the tension and uh yeah it's a it's a good movie there there are no teenagers nor mutants nor ninjas nor turtles no and very little <laughs> ooze frankly now i i mean i will say it's a film from 1979 it's a little 
slow in getting <laughs> to things. A little. But it's okay. You know, it's fine. Uh, but it, it, more expeditions than Star Trek the motion picture. Yeah. Yeah. Charming is exactly how it described the special effects, yeah. too, by the way. Oh, yeah. Yes. <laughs> yeah. It's, I, I, yeah. Even for 1979, yeah. they're, they're charming. <laughs> but, you know, uh, you don't need... It shows that you don't need to be so fancy if you have good characters interacting yeah. in interesting ways. And a fun story. Yeah. Yeah. That's true. Uh, and and it's it's well plotted um you know if you as long as you don't um spend a lot of time picking apart time travel which you never should do never. No. Um, no. we established but, that previously or will establish that in the future depending on how you listen to these in our conversation about time cop where we decided that no the time travel and time cop doesn't make any sense and but if you think about it nor does it in any other time travel yeah. movie. Well, the time kicker. Time, time Cop finally broke all other time travel movies. <laughs> it did. The, time, the approach to time travel in this movie appears to be that everybody just assumes you can't really change anything, right? Because yeah. they kind of. They find that newspaper that say, oh, she died. Yeah. Well, well, so this is going to happen. We are, we're just going to have to deal no, with that, I guess. I, I think, actually, no, I think the characters think that they can avert it somehow and that's what that's what Malcolm McDowell is trying to do as H.G. Wells is is he's going to save because there's a scene and we'll walk through the plot a little bit but there's a scene where they they get a they get tomorrow's news or this Friday's it's newspaper. It's like four days yeah. And, and it says in in a very strangely a big picture of Mary Steenburgen and says this bank cl clerk was horribly murdered uh, and it's like oh no but but I feel like they're trying to save her but I do think Monty that the movie is saying nope Nope. If it was in the paper yeah. in the future, that's what it will be because they're not like changing the timeline. Everything that happens, they play fair with that. This this to bank clerk that. slash glamour shots model was murdered. <laughs> yes. Uh, it was a certainty. <laughs> was There's nothing important. that could avert it. It's it's not that the paper is from the future. It's that they jump ahead four days. Yes. And then they go back four days. Well, yeah. I mean, so they I, I, could still change. I thought that was implied. I mean, it's not early edition. Yeah. They're, they're, yeah. Yeah, although I guess which that's a show that never made edition. sense to me. That was like, <laughs> what? Yeah, mm. yeah. Because that's the point, a whole other thing. You know, mostly it's not to it's not to do twisty turny modern time travel takes. It's it's it, but it is that fate of like, can we change her fate? That is is the yeah. thing that spurs H. G. Wells into into action. Well, right when they he shows up, you know, in San Francisco, and he's in a la Doctor Who to me, but of course it was later that he's in the museum of his own stuff where he's, you know, being lauded as a, as a genius first time. Um, but, you know, there's photos of him. And I thought, well, if the photos are there, he has to know that he has to go back to exactly where he was before. Right. Or else. Right. Right. But what does he yeah. know? He only invented the time machine. He didn't <laughs> invent time travel dynamics. Oh, Gene, who cares about any of that? Everyone just wants to see Malcolm McDowell and Mary Steenburgen fall in love. At the end, when he <laughs> says he has to write those books, fiction, I hope, that's, that's <laughs> the time I realized that H.G. Wells exhibit must have had a whole room of War of the Worlds. That must have really worried him. <laughs> right? right? Right. Exactly. Well, and what, what's been weird is I've been doing a lot of time travel research this year because I'm doing a, a time travel project. You're building a time machine. Well, I'm building a time machine. By, by time um, travel project, and, David. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't specify. 
But the thing that's interesting is, and I'm not sure when this turning point happened, but for a long time, your time travel stories were always, I'm going to the future, or I'm going to the past, and I'm going to visit, and I'm going to check things out, and then I'm going home. And somewhere along the way, it became, uh, let's see every possible variation on the future or the past. Let's see what happens if I change this. Let's, you know, you have alternate timelines, you have multiple universes where it's all about regret and wanting to change things and fix things. And, uh, and I'm trying to figure out where that pivot is. I don't think it's time cop. Um, um, but back to the future maybe was maybe. had, had ch- actual changing of the timeline and the ripples and ramifications as a major part yeah, of the plot in a way that maybe that's true. I have an answer that I can't think of right now, so I will not bog (laughs) down the show while I look it up. But there is a seminal science fiction story that's pretty much the butterfly effect, where they go back. Is it a sound of thunder by Ray Bradbury? That's the one. Yeah. Yeah, stepping yeah, on the butterfly. It's, it's been there, but I, I I think that there is something about this idea that like the tenor of a time travel movie, we really should talk about time after time, but the tenor of time travel movies <laughs> sort of changed, and this is feels a little more old-fashioned in, in that it's not it's yeah. not as, like I said, twisty-turny and like what are the ver- ver- you know, variations, and there's a moment where like there's a picture and I'm like, oh, like in Time Cop, I was waiting for the, the, the picture or the Polaroid or whatever it is to change like in Back to the Future and it doesn't. But I love that we keep going back to Time, time Cop. Well, we I mean, we expected something reasonable from Time Cop. It is the touchstone of Time yeah. Cop. <laughs> this, that, that's true. This movie is basically classic Doctor Who where the time machine just gets you to, to your wherever adventure. the story is going right. to happen. Yeah. Right. What we're really saying is it's no time cop. Yeah. Well, and, and that's, <laughs> Monty, the Doctor Who analogy is exactly right, right? Because with Stephen Moffat's Doctor Who, it became mm-hmm. about time travel, whereas before it was more like time, it was the conveyance to get you to your story. And time after time is much more about what if H.G. Wells pursued Jack the Ripper to 1979 <laughs> and the time yeah. machine is how you get there. But that's not what, and the answer is one of them kills a lot of women while the other yeah. one falls in love. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's plenty of plot. Uh, what would happen if H.G. Wells went on an H.G. Wellsian time travel exactly. adventure and, you know, there was a, a you know, sweet, lovely, <laughs> spoilers, love conquers all kind of ending. Man, that sunset is gorgeous. Grill, patio, sunset. Hard to get better than that. Unless you're browsing Carvana's inventory while you soak it all in. Oh, burger time. So sit back, get comfortable. Carvana's got thousands of cars under $20,000 just waiting for you. I could stay here forever. Carvana, where car buying meets comfort meets convenience. Download the app or visit Carvana.com today. All right, so um, I'll, I'll step through it at least quickly so we can we can call out points that we liked. We start, <laughs> we start in, in a, I would say, a what we all think of old London as being, right? It's it's foggy, <laughs> old, old, ye oldie London town. <laughs> Extremely foggy London. Foggy, a drunk floozy, a POV shot. She's horribly, oh, uh, uh, there's a musical stopwatch with pictures. The guy's name is John. Isn't that fitting? And then, uh, and then we, he tears the fabric of her dress. It's a ripping sound. 
get it because it's Jack the Ripper <laughs> oh, and he stabbed no. her to death and oh no um but quickly we must move on to the 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 gentleman the astute gentleman in the home of HG Wells who are having a, having a, a a conversation a, and Dr. Stevenson played by uh, yes and David Warner rushes in a little bit late and he was saying oh I was just saying that I've come up with a time machine and uh this is this is one of those things where everything converges and it's like oh the ripper attacked and and it turns out that that uh Stevenson is the suspect but then he disappears and and but before all that happens Wells has to introduce the time machine and in a thing that I found again charming lays out <laughs> all of the plot things that will be used yes. later in the movie about oh, like, well, the, this the G the G in HG Wells stands for exposition <laughs> yeah the vaporizing <laughs> equalizer in which the passenger travels without the machine and is lost to eternity and I'm like well I'm sure that won't come up at the end of the movie why does that come out so easily is my question yeah. <laughs> It could just fall out if it shook too much. Yeah. But yeah, I, I, I kind of think the, the machine and the instruction booklet that he was reading from was was developed by Anton Chekhov. Yes. I so. want to say that the policemen are much better served in this movie than they are in real life. They, they caught Jack the Ripper. They, that, yeah. they great almost job, they guys. tracked him down. Yeah. Yeah. If he hadn't escaped in a time machine, uh, they would have yeah. they would have taken care of him. Uh, yeah, yeah, no, I I agree, but it does it does, and then Stevenson's their friend. But you know, you, you think about it, and you're like, oh yeah, I bet he he could. He was the chief of surgery, and uh, you know, he had access, and he was late here because he was killing somebody, I guess, and all of that <laughs> happens. But but before the before that kicks into gear, there is a, a a nice scene that I think sets the table for these two characters, which is uh, they debate. H. G. Wells thinks that in the future the the modern utopia will come, and David Warner. Uh, as Stevenson slash Jack the Ripper says, no, human nature is foul and it, we will always live in a dystopia and everything will always be terrible. And that is their I don't know. I, I think socialism will solve everything. Uh, well, uh, well, let's see about that, old man. <laughs> Not to mention all the chess, uh, yeah. the chess metaphors and who right. you know, can see ahead to whose move. Right, and the David Warner can always see Malcolm McDowell's moves and Malcolm McDowell doesn't think like David Warner is and that's obviously... Right, it's like... I shall win one of these days, and mm. and and Warner says, "When you learn how I think," mm-hmm. and that sets the tone for the two of them. Yep. And then you have all the exposition about the, the time machine, which I think I you know, again, it's very exposition heavy, and it's very Chekhov's gun. I appreciated it though, because yes, you you kind of see, oh, this is the thing that's going to resolve the actual end of the movie. Uh, but I liked the explanation of the key and the whole, you know. How is it that Jack the Ripper can get to the 1979 and yet the machine comes back? Comes back. They explain it. Yeah. It's beautiful. That's yeah. like, that's the first all, thing where you go, did they travel together? Nope. No, it, it, <laughs> it's, if you don't bring the key, it, it returns yeah. back to the original time. And yeah, because they're going very, forward in time, smart. there's not one of those, oh no, he's traveled in time and changed the timeline because it's forward in time. So we don't have to deal with that. And so off we go. There's a kind of a freaky montage as he travels into the, the <laughs> into the, the yeah. present, present 2001 day light of 1979. Yeah. And he awakes in, as was mentioned earlier, uh, delightfully, a an H.G. Wells museum exhibit that includes the time machine. Now, I have some questions about this. Just, uh, you know, <laughs> yeah. it's, which it's is like, like in well, Zork 3. So the Let's time machine there. is there, but then the new time machine, the the time machine from the past, materializes on top of itself from the future. I, I'm sure it's fine, and then when they leave it, it whatever it's fine. it's still there when they leave. 
It's, it's calling the it's time not cops. There when it leaves. In no, it disappears. Oh, someone, that's right. Someone that's right. has stolen the time machine or something. Maybe, or, maybe send it back or something. The purported something. time machine. Yeah. Maybe it, it went to a different time. <laughs> it doesn't matter though. I, I just, I like the idea that you would wake up. It's actually not played as much as it could have been, which is the horror of seeing your life laid out before you as an exhibit in, the ma- in, in a museum. Uh, as it could yeah, be. I mean, if if anything, Captain America, the first Avenger, did a, a, a grimmer take on, look, you're literally a museum exhibit now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. That's exactly. Right. No, that, that's, that's that the idea. Or Winter Soldier was that maybe? But yeah. It was it not. But it's the the idea that you're out of time. And so here, I mean, she was like, oh, okay, well, I, I, I guess this is for me, but I, I, let me see Utopia. And he goes outside. And yeah. of course, there, there are, are ha- pictures of me. And the first thing he meets on the steps of the museum, Harry Krishna. Harry Krishna. It's 1979. He sees an airplane. There's a traffic accident. Well, he he, he meets a a, uh, a museum security guard, which mm-hmm. is right. far right. less competent than yeah. London police, apparently. <laughs> of the past, uh, yeah. See, sees no reason whatsoever to raise any sort of alarms about somebody in a, a Victorian England um, uh, antique uh, exhibit. You know, well, fine, fine, go on. You know, that's really the difference between American uh, um, rented cops and uh, and and British and, cops and of the 1800s. Scotland Yard. And he, and this is the where the glasses thing happens to. Yeah. Where he's got the yeah. I got my yeah. glasses. I need new glasses. I'll get these glasses. Those glasses will be these glasses. That whole thing that comes back in Star Trek. <laughs> People who were not alive in 1979 will not understand how funny Harry Krishnas were. Yes, <laughs> but they're in airplane. They're in this. I'm certain they are in a ton of 1979 through 1981 movies. Yep, I think they're in yeah. several of the airport movies that airplane is spoofing. I mean, when when I was in college, they were a great way to you know find a, a good vegetarian lunch. Uh, oh yeah! In late seventies <laughs> movies, they were they were a great punchline. Corey Feldman, he's in there. He's is the, kid. the little kid? Yeah. yeah, I wouldn't have recognized him, but I who's saw that him man in the credits. Well, he's yeah. the man who's in this exhibit. Um, again, His photograph is on the wall. He's yeah. wearing exactly the same clothes. Who yeah. do you think it is? Who's, who's that guy talking to the whales? Uh, yeah, well, so we get very much shades of Star Trek Four. Is he's a fish out of water in San Francisco? He goes to McDonald's and figures out what fries are. Uh, he watches TVs in the store window. Doritos. The word Doritos is sky written <laughs> across the sky, and he must think to himself, "Who is the dread Lord Doritos, and why is his name flying in the sky?" I, I won't lie. I got nostalgic in the in the McDonald's scene. Just you know, styrofoam boxes too, and you know the the menu the style, and everything. The uniforms. The, the uniforms were classic seventies, like those. Like hats. how Back to the Future really establishes nineteen eighty five with nineteen eighty five fashion and stuff. This movie really sets nineteen seventy nine in a way that. <laughs> It feels like 1979. Yeah, it really does. <laughs> I mean, the the sheer number of people working at that McDonald's during a lunch rush. But I mean, it was like a, a brigade of French chefs, yeah. um, you know, <laughs> hurriedly putting together, you know, the, the most uh, delightful culinary delight of, of all time. Yeah. Uh, it, it's amazing that, that a fast food restaurant could employ that many people simultaneously at not the busiest time of the day. He's trying to sell some stuff, which actually I appreciate because when you think about what would happen if you actually were in a different time, this one of the challenges would be how would you get money because your money's probably not good anymore. So then you have to sell things. So he 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 is bringing stuff to sell. Um, there the jeweler says I haven't seen something like this since the Second World War, which we get that moment where he's like, 
World War, Second World War, right? Which is very <laughs> nice. The jeweler has a uh, uh, a Holocaust tattoo, which is not really mm-hmm. discussed, but there it is. It's like laying it all out. The horrors of the 20th century, H.G. Yeah. Wells, that you don't know anything about. But I'm just saying, Jack the Ripper's argument looking pretty good right now. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. But uh, he has no ID. Uh, we, and he's like, but I give you my word as a gentleman. uh so he he wants to go to the church to stay the night and isn't allowed uh and so oh utopia he sleeps on a bench in a in a playground and then the next day he goes to banks um and uh and is trying to find uh jack the ripper because he's presumably he's doing a little legwork little detective work to because he presumably also needs to get money in order to survive in this society and we see him meet um at the British bank, uh, the inexplicable <laughs> New York accent of Mary Steenburgen, Mary uh, who is the offer in charge of foreign exchange. And, and, and she, why she saw, she saw his friend yesterday. Um, and he's staying at the Hyatt Regency on drum street. Uh, this film brought to you in part by the Hyatt Regency resort on drum street in San Francisco. Hyatt Regency, we harbor murderers. Mur- Mur- Jack the Ripper here. Uh, she she offers to show him around. Her name is Amy. Her number's on the card. Uh, you know, you ring. She's immediately besotted by him. Absolutely. Just, oh, HG. No yes. questions asked. She, she's like, oh, it's a it's a dandy who's acting as if it's the 19th century. This is my thing, and uh, you know, okay, fair enough. Um, he he. So he's going to go over to the hotel, but he, he gets he gets a crazy taxi driver who drives like a maniac. He thinks he's in bullet. That's what it is. <laughs> That's is, my note. This this bit comes out of nowhere because like I, I get I get that you might have your 19th century guy taken aback by how taxis drive in 1979. But this is not how taxis drive in 1979. <laughs> this man is a lunatic. He is yeah. he is he's he's he making hard turns. This was, this was just. Bad, out and, this was just bad luck of the draw. Yeah. Uh, and we've all had that. We've yeah. all had that bad cab know, driver. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, oh yeah. 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 Sorry. Welcome to the 20th century. Our drivers are, are really bad. Um, so he finds David Warner and you're like, well, this is wrapped up quite nicely. <laughs> yeah. Well, and he literally does a, a candy gram moment. Like he knocks on oh, the yeah, hotel room door and it's clever. like, your breakfast, uh, sir. Breakfast. breakfast, sir. It's almost the same line reading. Too. Yeah. Yeah, and, 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 and he says, I need to take you back. And, and he's like, no, 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 look at the TV. I've got to tune to the, the co- Society is the Terrible channel. It's, well, he's got like the expositional cable system because there's a lot of channels on that TV mm-hmm. for 1979. And it's like there's cartoons yeah. and there's the violence of American football and there's news about terrible things and other terrible things. And David Warner says, in a, in a wonderful moment, he says, I belong here completely and utterly. 90 years ago, I was a freak here i'm an amateur and it's like yeah. oh yeah. <laughs> yeah i wrote that line down that is yeah. a nice line so good but he needs the key he's like i need the key to the time machine <laughs> dad can i key. have the key need that key to the time machine now, now uh back to time cop after time cop for a moment uh-huh um <laughs> in the time cop in the time cop tv show uh <laughs> they posited that that a guy from their far future who like in this movie traveled via sled based uh seated time machine uh mm-hmm. device um had gone back in time to take the place of jack the ripper and um and it's almost 
uh, in Time Cop itself, based on a comic book, but th- that um, failed television series is almost fan fiction of this movie because it's like, okay, what are we going to do with this guy? Um, well, we're going to catch him, but we're not going to really catch him because there's going to be a complicating device. And that's where, uh, you know, otherwise this would be a 45 minute episode of a TV show. Uh, this movie just keeps going with both of these guys. And I like the version <laughs> of things that keeps going with these guys, but doesn't also um, intertwine it into uh, a dumb, really cheap uh, 90s science fiction show. I don't think it does keep going with both of these guys. There's a big chunk of the movie where H.G. Wells assumes Jack the Ripper is dead. And it's yeah. like, well, I'm just going to date Mary Steenburgen now. Great. Yep. Yeah. Uh, the yeah. romance portion uh, of the movie. Well, okay, hold on. But before we get there, there is a there is a pulse pounding chase that happens, which is a, a great opportunity to see more of San Francisco. They because uh, the the maid comes in and prevents uh, uh, David Warner from killing Malcolm Mundell right here, and instead they <laughs> run through San Francisco, and uh, uh, he runs up the down the up escalator at one point, which mm-hmm. is a great yeah. moment. The confusing stair layout at Embarcadero Center. I recognize that. I'm like, oh yeah, there are a lot of stairs in Embarcadero Center. The true nemesis of modern life. A mall. There's really a lot going on there. It's a good chase. Ultimately, David Warner is hit by a car. Well, this problem solved, right? (laughs) Cut to, uh, you know, basically, well, while I'm here, I will date this nice lady. So at the revolving restaurant at the top of, I think, Embarcadero Center, uh, they uh, they have a date. Uh, Mary Steenburgen, I noted, uh, very forward, very forward modern lady, which I think they're, I think they really wanted to be the, the, uh, the contrast, right? From the uptight 19th century guy and the modern 1979 woman. She's Um, a women's liber. She's, she is a bit of a women's liber. Yeah. But not a lesbian, she says, but sometimes she goes (laughs) a long time between men and, uh, that maybe explains her interest in him. I don't know. She's she's disclosing a lot of detail for a first date (laughs) and and she she takes him to a movie which is apparently according to the marquee exorcist four okay which Which did not exist yet in 1979 our best i like meyer uh making fun of that they um they go across the golden gate bridge which he says a bridge for motor cars again <laughs> i find that hilarious these observations they go to they go to muir woods which is in my town and uh he is amazed by trees dude these trees were all alive when you in the time you came from while she's driving he's learning how to drive by looking at her because because he invented a time machine he has to be a mechanical genius yeah, I guess. Right. I don't think the actual right. H.G. Wells was, but that's it. And yeah. I, I I, can't remember. I think he said someone built it for him. I don't think he built the machine himself. Yeah, he's working with some scientist or something. Yeah. Like, it's, it's really but, but it's not addressed, right? Screen. Like It's like, mm, suffice yeah. it to say, well, there's a time machine. Who designed it, though? Because it looks amazing. Right. You have to wonder, like, who, who decided it needed these multicolored jeweled... Uh, well, well, Miss Wells, it works this way and it works that way, and <laughs> then you have to do this. Yes, but can it look exactly this way? He pulls out some designs uh, with with this kind of lever right here and it's this thing coloured like this. It's kind of a uh, weird sure, but, carriage sled thing. You know what would make it better though is if they put a rocket engine on the back. Yeah. Oh, I mean, <laughs> like time immeasurably. <laughs> 
Um, uh, maybe the, Time Cop is the pivot. Maybe, I don't maybe know. so, maybe so. So while they're having a nice day in the redwoods, saying "Oh, brave new world that has such people in it," <laughs> and these redwood trees are amazing. Twentieth century. What have you done? Uh, meanwhile, though, while they're having their nice day, a prostitute has been murdered in San Francisco. Uh oh. And then I want to talk about the geography. You know, there are knowing knowing a city that a movie is set in, you do notice <laughs> when they take liberties with the geography. And I just want to say there are a couple of moments like that. But for the most part, this movie totally gets San Francisco geography. She lives in uh, kind of Russian Hill. She lives by the Palace of Fine Arts. They are walking with groceries back to her place. Uh, I think they went to the Marina Safeway. It's right there. I'm pretty sure that that's actually what's implied here. They they walk through the Palace of Fine Arts and he says, is this marble? It's got all those, you know, all the pillars and everything. And she says, would you believe it's plaster, which is a true story because they made it for the Pan. As she says, yeah. the Pan Pacific exhibition, it was meant to be temporary, but the people in San Francisco loved it so much that this piece of garbage that was supposed to fall down after five or 10 years has been maintained and upgraded and fixed so it will stay alive because it was never... It's a hilarious story, and it's a beautiful location. Um, like but, Balboa Park in San Diego. Exactly. Yeah. It, it's like, well, yeah. we didn't intend this to stand the test of time. What are you talking about? Uh, but it it has. Um, the the uh, and so we get we'll get more of the Palace of Fine Arts later. Um, and there's some other stuff that goes on, but it's all in this sort of North Beach, Russian Hill kind of neighborhood of San Francisco. That's where uh, the seedy part of town is down on Columbus and and Broadway. It's all pretty legit, other than there is a moment where they're on Columbus and then they turn a corner and they're on Market Street, and it's like mm, no, that, that didn't happen. <laughs> but otherwise, they do they play fair with San Francisco geography. Uh, I was very impressed. Thumbs up. Good job, Nicholas Meyer. <laughs> CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax. The way car buying should be. So anyway, speaking of Broadway and and the seedy part of town, um, the well, I should I should say there's a prominent appearance of a Mickey Mouse phone. Um, I I have that in my notes because I was like, <laughs> I remember that. Yeah. Um, and, and Mary Steenberg just has to change her clothes. She changes from one uh, blouse with a giant frilly ruffly thing to a different blouse with a different giant frilly ruffly thing because it's 1979. Let, let me slip into something equally comfortable. Yeah. It's just a funny moment where I'm like, it's only slightly different than the last thing you were wearing. Um, so I, did, I did like yeah. that she, she blamed her ex for the Mickey Mouse phone. Mm. That was, that was a nice touch. So uh, David Warner is down in Broadway uh, in uh, a seedy place. Uh, he uh, the, the, and and that's not going to be good, right? But but back at uh, Mary Seenburgen's place, there's romance, there's kissing. He's uh, very careful to ask for basically for consent, which she finds very amusing. <laughs> but I thought was uh, kind of nice. Um, and <laughs> contrast with David Warner walking down Broadway, looking for people to kill. And yes, another nude body in North beach, a prostitute behind the city lights bookstore. Uh, we hear about this on the radio. Good. I, I believe the people at the LA news radio station read this bit, but in my head canon, this is uh, the fine people at KCBS reporting on the spree of dead prostitutes and 
North Beach in San Francisco in 1970. This episode of The Incomparable brought to you by hyper-specific San Francisco <laughs> San, This is It's the Time After Time episode, Moises. Yes, it is. That's right. <laughs> it's, I, I, my headcanon was it was the syndicated exposition news network. It, it really is. Like it's, right? It's, it's a... a it sounds very much like a professional Hollywood voiceover and not so much like an actual news report, but you know, it's fine. It's I, like, I, I mean, go, going back to questionably um, planned television series for a moment, uh, did anybody oh no. watch the Time After Time 2017 TV show? Yep. Did, no. did they the also, set, did they set it in San Francisco? Uh, I, let me, I, I oh, it was probably remember. like Vancouver standing in for San Francisco or something uh, like that. Let's see. But, um, New York. Museum New in York. New York. New York. And, but probably the, Toronto the teleplay, standing in for New York. Yeah. Yeah. The teleplay for the pilot, Nicholas Meyer. Sure. Yeah. He's trying to get it off the ground as a TV show. Yeah. So guess what? Nude prostitutes uh, behind the City Lights bookstore. That means he didn't got to be one guy. There's he only one guy. He didn't die. It's his trademark of gutting prostitutes. Um, and he's and, and so H.G. Wells very upset. Amy, I need to tell you, he's still out there. It's a moment where it's like- He would well, do it r- right behind the famous bookstore, wouldn't he? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Here's a name people will recognize. It's uh, a- yeah. They, ne- they would never believe me if I told them the story, though, which is the time traveler's dilemma, right? It's like, well, I could go to the police. Right. But, you know- They'll think I'm the insane one. And they do. Yeah. So they, um, David Warner comes to the bank and it's a great moment where she's mm-hmm. like, oh, uh, please uh, wait here and I'll check with, and she calls Herbert and it's like, he's here. And then, and then he's like, I'll be right there. Just st- stall him. Keep him there. Which is like, yes, yes. Let the killer hang around with you, my girlfriend. <laughs> um, and she said, did you find that room at the Hyatt Regency? And he's like, that's how he found me. Ah, thanks to you. You tell him I want that key, and he and he and he uh, runs away. Um, we what? do get it's. Yep. It is kind of a weird shot where you know she thinks he's leaving, and she's just staring straight at the camera, and then he just pops in from the side, and she yeah. doesn't react. She's frozen. It's a little odd. He's great. He's great yeah. at being really creepy and quiet about it. But it's a weird well, shot. I think it's just intentionally disquieting, right? Yeah, he's like, yeah. he's a. We know he's a killer. It's like, well, where did he go? And he's like, he's still there, huh? It's like a jump scare, a very gentle jump scare. Yeah, he's a Remember suave. Remember when I killer. said about nightmares for decades? This mm. is like, oh, I mean, just the fact when he walked into the bank. I, even watching it this time, which is my second time watching it, so yeah, many no, years apart. I was like, oh no. No, I am. I am glad that this is not the first thing that I saw David Warner in because he is so effective in this that yeah. it, it was for me. It was ah a departure from Chancellor Gorkon in Star Trek Six, <laughs> that other guy in Star Trek Five, and the guy from TNG. For me, the first things I saw him in were Time Bandits and Tron. So I just assumed, oh, this guy's legitimately evil, right? <laughs> <laughs> See, for me, it was a departure from The Omen, which, okay. Oh. I think mm. I think what David Warner has, and in this scene you really see it, is he has this kind of class about him that, mm-hmm. that mixes with the menace in this case. And it creates this really nice mixture of like, I respect him, but he's also a monster and I love it. I love that he's restrained. Like he's, he's not, 
he's not getting out his knife in the middle of the bank, right? He's like, oh, no, no, no. Yeah. This is a bank. He's, this is no. a place of a, but you tell him that I need that key. Uh, he's and, he's you know. civilized insane. Yeah. I agree that he's civilized. I don't think he's always restrained. And I might have more to say about that no. in a different time travel movie. <laughs> Oh yeah, in this, in this, I mean, in this movie, and especially in this scene, yeah. he's a very, he's got these. I'm yeah. an English gentleman who also murders prostitutes, and it's like, okay, it's menacing. I thought Monty was about to throw to a clip of Monty on another episode. On another that hasn't episode been that hasn't yet. been recorded yet. <laughs> Amazing time travel, summer of time travel. What are you gonna do? Um, so, uh, so here, so the next thing, um, we get is we we get more San Francisco stuff. Uh, there is a great, again, thank you, Moises, specific San Francisco references. I'm just going to mention they walk by the <laughs> Viancourt Fountain in Embarcadero Center, which is amazing because this is 1979. So the Embarcadero Freeway is behind there. The fountain still exists. It's really ugly, but the freeway has been torn down. It was torn down after the 89 earthquake. So it was quite a little moment of do- to document a part of San Francisco that I know really well, but is completely different than it was in 1979. They go to the scenic Marina Green, which is where you get the beautiful view of the golden gate bridge um he tells her who he really is and that he's gone uh you know he he's come into the into the present from the past um all this is going on simultaneously with david warner continuing to murder people um they go they go forward <laughs> all right, that's great hey everybody uh, again his name is jason snail snail uh he'll be playing this Safeway uh every weekend uh that's been his type five at the, at the marina green <laughs> uh, yeah. I, I want to say that we know he's killing people because like they'll walk past newspapers that say more prostitutes murder <laughs> yeah. or there it'll be on the news and they just keep missing it over and over yeah. again. Well, he does, he does go on that one date with the lady who um, asks him if he wants some grass and then he, he kills her now. So a really nice, cause I love how Nick Meyer will do set design and, you know, just like set details like in wrath of Khan where he's got paradise lost and on top, you know, Moby Dick and all right. that stuff in her apartment. There is a very prominent poster for Stephen Sondheim's Follies, which is set in two different time periods and is all about regret and youth and age. And it's really interesting that it's in this. That's not unintentional, I think. Right, right. So they they go briefly to the future in the time machine to show he can show off his time machine, basically. But uh, there's the Saturday newspaper. Don't read the headlines. Oh, we read the headlines. <laughs> She's the fifth victim of Jack the Ripper. In modern day San Francisco, um, so he says, you should come back to 1893 with me. She says, I'm a 20th century woman. Be reasonable. And he's like, no, 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 no. I have to stop him. I'm responsible for, for him. Um, and and he says, uh, you know, we're going to stop his next murder. Right. I, yeah. Time is not our enemy is a line that comes up here, which is kind of fun. Um, <laughs> again, cut to... David Warner at a disco looking for more <laughs> victims like in this section of the movie David Warner in a disco is delightful as by they're itself. falling in love we just keep getting these sets of, meanwhile murders <laughs> it just <Yep>. keeps happening <laughs> and the disco another example of somebody in 1979 going what's ludicrous about the time period I'm in right now discos here we go <laughs> I mean you could you could say he's manic at the disco oh I was gonna Thank say you. it's Warner at the mm. disco but yeah either yeah. way yeah I think it, it's interesting they uh, they gave him a, a more more of a range of wardrobe than uh, Mary Steenburgen because yeah. he started out with this suit. He was like 
you know, and then it's sort of inexplicably, the next time we see him, he's in that like very 70s, my father had this outfit, uh, vest uh, with a dress shirt and pants. Yeah. His his haircut his haircut fits perfectly. He says, "This is my mm-hmm. time." Like I, here, I'm an amateur. When he said that, and that, and so he yeah. immediately starts dressing like he's from the time period. Whereas uh, Malcolm McDowell does not, right? Like so, so he's no. th- this is the idea that this is a degraded age, and he he belongs here, and he's going to dress uh, in this era, and he's going to kill you know, and and have a great time killing people in 1979. And so, yeah, he he he's seeing the sights and dressing like the locals and the whole thing. So he so the problem is that that Malcolm McDowell has tried to go to the police, um, but the uh, he he comes up with an alias, which is I'm Sherlock Holmes, which everybody's like, hmm, who is this guy? And and obviously <laughs> this guy's like, supposed to be a writer. He can't come up with a better character name than. Uh, I like the idea that he thinks no, surely nobody knows about this obscure thing that Arthur Conan Doyle wrote. Uh, and he knows like, there's whoops. a giant museum exhibit about himself. That's true. <laughs> That's a bad move. It's and, definitely a bad move. And again, talking about recycling, um, Nick Meyer, who wrote The 7% Solution, where Holmes yes. meets Sigmund Freud, also wrote The West End Horror, where Holmes chases Jack the Ripper. Yeah, they're all, they're yeah. all you know, these are all, all the connects. highlights. Yeah, exactly. Um, so we get a bunch of stuff going on here. Uh, police now think that, that Sherlock Holmes might be the killer. Um, the, the, uh, mercy version is going to take a, take a Valium while, uh, Herbert goes and buys a gun. And he was previously like, I'm not going to use a gun, but now he's like, I'm going to have to get a gun. Um, he, he runs, uh, he, he's running to her house, but he's grabbed by police and he's like, no, no, Amy, but she's passed out. She doesn't hear him because she's, she took her Valium and, and in a setup that finally pays off here where the door doesn't close unless you pull it really yeah. hard. The door is open to her apartment um, to just let in the killer who, and this is the night where he's going to kill her. Um, Malcolm McDowell lays it out for the cops. He's like, I'm H.G. Wells. He's Jack the Ripper. We came in a time machine. They're like, okay, buddy. Uh, and he says, look, just <laughs> go like save. I like the pitch, but I don't buy it. Just go save the girl. <laughs> you can take me away. Just go save the girl. And he's like, look, I have tomorrow's newspaper. And he's like, ah, you could get this printed up at Fisherman's Wharf. At Pier 39, they'll make this for you. And it's it like, says Ugh. panic in New York. Menagerie breaks loose. Everybody knows this fake paper. Yeah, exactly right. A woman brutally murdered. You could, you, yeah, it's, they, they do that for we're, kicks. We are not going to believe this until we walk into an apartment and see a patently fake dismembered arm <laughs> yes exactly right so that's the that's the the climax of the movie essentially well one one of the that's two here at the end um she wakes up david warner comes in um she spills stuff on the floor she's hiding in the closet um uh you know intercut with with herbert being like just go save her i'll confess to anything um but we don't know what's happened to mary steam virgin we saw her hiding in the closet the cops go to her place there's blood everywhere and yes a a severed arm is also laying there on the floor i mean i mean beautifully beautifully removed let's i mean that, that was, well, a, he real was a surgeon cut. i mean yeah. let's not forget that he, yeah, he must have brought like a bone saw with him or something but he it's, brought a lot of tools he, he they showed him with uh, it is tools, shocking though it, 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 it is it was shocking the first time i saw it it blew me away like the worst scene i'd ever seen uh, <laughs> you know in 1979 and when we were contemplating watching this again i i don't know if it was one of y'all but i said i don't know about that scene though and and somebody said like uh the 
I'm going to say the blood's pretty fake, as I remember. And I thought, I don't know. It is so <laughs> fake. Yeah. It's very, I mean, it's almost like the blood from Star Trek, you know, when David Warner gets shot, you know, by the assassin, <laughs> that pink blood. Should we make the blood look real or should we make it look like paint? It's a movie where we need the shocking moment where the, to confirm that the mm. murder happened, but we don't really want to make it other than than young Gene McDonald, who's going to be disturbed by this for many years. It's like, just put some blood in a, a like a, like a fake arm. And it's like shorthand. It's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. A uh, horrible ax murder or a terrible bad. Uh, what's funny is, is cut to, after seeing this awful revelation, cut to the cops tell Herbert, you're free to go. She died. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, really sorry. Get out of here. You knucklehead. Yeah. I guess yeah. I guess it wasn't you, and she did die. So I guess you were right all along. Uh, no further bye. questions about time travel or anything. <laughs> nope. That's for sure. <laughs> well, uh, you're free to go, crazy man. <laughs> if you could get the hell out of here, the rest of us need to figure out how we're going to retire early and make all of our pensions and pretend like this never happened. And that's and that's Charles Chiaffi, who's another one of those great it's that guy it's that character guy. actors yeah. who yeah. plays tons of cops mm-hmm. in you, you know TV say. and movies. Oh. So um, this is the moment where it's like, oh, no, I can't believe they killed Mary Seenburgen. Uh So H.G. Wells walks stunned through the Palace of F- Fine Arts uh, to her place. Uh, but guess what? She's not dead. He murdered her friend who was coming over in a piece of dialogue that you might have missed. <laughs> I and sure that the news- he's got the car and the newspaper was wrong and just made an assumption that it was her because it was her house, but now he wants the key. Uh, he's got he's got her uh, as a hostage. Um, he says, "Throw me my key." Uh, well, will you let her go? He says, "You have my word as a gentleman." He throws the key and he says, "I think you should have expected by now that you know I'm not a gentleman." <laughs> <laughs> and he takes her away to the museum. Now, 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 back up. So the the newspaper prints this this giant yes. photo of her <laughs> yes and they they identified a completely different dismembered body as her yes um so i i i had an opportunity to confront nicholas meyer about this uh this concerning uh plot <laughs> development uh and he said oh they just screwed up and then they corrected it in the paper the next day oops she's well, missing this now. Is- <laughs> This is that night, right? So yeah. if they had continued reading the newspaper, they presumably would have found also somebody broke into the H.G. Wells exhibit and stole the time stole machine. Stole the time machine. <laughs> that was on page five and they didn't flip the page over because they were so stunned by her uh, murder. It's just in a, it's a, it's a museum. Who cares about museums? Well, that wasn't, yeah, that they're not going to hold the, the last edition for the petty theft at the, at the museum. But what about the glasses? Were all of the glasses in his desks were they were they accounted for? So we find we've got our we've got our big climax now where he's got to rush to the museum. Fortunately, he observed her driving, so he can drive her car. He does hilariously drive badly. <laughs> yeah, it's a fun chase because, like yeah. you say, the person chasing them is not good at driving, which is a, yeah. I think is, is a this, fun this, twist. This is a favorite. This is a favorite time travel trope for me. Is time traveler who is bad at driving mm-hmm. and just <laughs> r- just as bad as they can be while at once being competent enough yeah. to actually move the vehicle. This is the Captain Kirk in a piece of the action moment, right? Where it's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. he drives it, but it backfires a lot and it barely gets there right so it's like okay <laughs> all right yeah you're not as cool as you think you are okay um at the museum and this is this is the part where the san francisco geography doesn't make sense it's fine it's a movie um 
and so they have a confrontation at the museum and he's like she means that much to you and and but he's like no haha ha, i'm gonna and, and he he he's going to get in the time machine but of course wells pulls that other key the key or or rod the, or whatever it is diffusion that, thing <clears throat> unsticks him in time and makes him go into infinity which i mean again probably shouldn't be so easy to take out of the thing but they do yeah (laughs) and and that's the last anyone will hear of jack the ripper (laughs) he's now in infinity in infinity great yeah (laughs) spread out across all of time and space and Um, and the way that he the way that he explains that at the beginning is very much rich gentleman who had this explained to him by the people who actually did the work yeah and right. is explaining it in the way that that it kind of made sense to him or the abbreviated version that he could remember so so where jack the ripper actually ends up i don't know um he I could end like up in a tv show room for a sequel 30 years later room for well, a sequel the, so yeah. the the author that whose book whose unfinished book this was based on and then finished the book did write a sequel where they the uh, Amy and H.G. Wells come forward in time again to pursue Jacqueline the Ripper. I have no, no. idea how okay. the rest of that plot works. But yeah, um, there you it, go. It so works a... to cash an advance check. Uh huh. That's right. <laughs> I have a question. About All right. That moment with the key, the second key. Yeah, the... they're both called keys, right? Like the so outside it, it, one. I think it is, but, it, but the... we know it's the vaporizing equalizer, of course. The right. True fans, real fans <laughs> it's, know uh, it's the vaporizing. Well, equalizer. you know, when you pull it out, it vaporizes. It, like, it, it equalizes. It, <laughs> and you see do? that in in little like rainbow like uh, special effects. But uh, no, my question is when he goes to pull the key out, uh, Jack the Ripper is looking at him, and is it the the thing there that Jack the Ripper gives him like a nod, and he yeah. does it almost like put me out of my misery nod. Yeah. Because that yeah. doesn't make sense at all. That doesn't make sense at all. The man was not in, I don't, in misery. I don't think it was put it out of my misery. I think it's just, it's sort of like when you're playing chess and you go, oh, oh. you win. I get it. Oh, okay. Yeah. That makes a lot more sense. I, I, yeah. Yeah, I'll buy that. Yeah, you got, I, you yeah. got, you finally, you finally made the winning move. Figured he out what I was doing. his misery. fate. Yeah. I, I say, old chap, you indeed yes. have the vaporizing I, equal. I, I, I may not be a gentleman, but you are, sir, and you've defeated me. You, you, sir, are a true vaporizing off, equal. Off to be smudged into infinity. Goodbye. I dare say. What? What? Yes. Huh? Um, which leads to our last little sort of the romantic question here, which is: you, you travel in time, you meet somebody, you really kind of are into each other, but you know, he's from the 19th century, she's from the 20th. What what are they gonna do? She said she doesn't want to go back to that time, and um, and so and it's she like she does anyway. He has to. Well, he has. So he has to say goodbye, and they sell it pretty well. Which is like, well, I must go back because that is where I belong. And he gets into the time machine, and it's like it's very sad, and they're just not going to be able to be together. And Nicholas Meyer, why are you bumming us out here at the end of this sort of romantic <laughs> con- romantic time travel story about a guy who kills prostitutes anyway uh she says no wait for me let's go and 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 the movie the movie ends telling us oh so they went back in time and got married and then she died and then he lived another 20 years the end but that that was her real the real name of his second wife his second wife robbins yeah and she was a woman's liberation Mm -hmm. uh protester in real life um so you know watching it all these years later knowing more about his life i was like oh yeah they're try- okay. trying to fit it in there it's a, i think it's a nice moment because i 
I think it's up in the air. Like she's made it clear. The screenplay has made it clear, right? That she's like, well, I can't go back yeah. in time because I'm a modern woman from 1979. So it's like, well, what are we going to do? And he's like, well, I have to go back. So I guess this is goodbye. It's so sad. We were really getting on. And she says, all right, okay. I'll go to your stupid time. Yeah. He has to go back to pay his maid back, if nothing else. <laughs> <laughs> but here's, so here's the thing that, that kind of bothers me. It's like, it's like a little niggling thing about the movie. In that it's all about how H.G. Wells, the futurist who, who predicted all these things, and you're know, so uh, forward thinking that he predicted all of these things. And the movie basically tells us, no, he actually went back and just reported on what he saw about the future. So except, he didn't really predict Except anything. the time machine isn't about but, 1979, so... Uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. who are but the I mean, Morlocks? Just, who are the Eloy just, just, in this situation? Like the, the forward thinking of, you know, women's liberation and socialism and all that stuff. Now, if, if, you know. if the time machine was about Embarcadero Center, then we would have something. <laughs> I, I thought it was, a, it was a, a nice trick to use her name, which... Mm -hmm. You would not know unless you were already an H.G. Wells fan, like, you know, a nerd and knew everything about him. Then, yes, the movie is spoiled for you. But for the rest of us, it's like, will she, won't she travel back in time? Because, I mean, I, I do have like a little bit of a rant about the chauvinism of this whole movie, but whatever. I mean, it's just, it was never in doubt um, that, you know, he wouldn't stay. Obviously, he's H.G. Wells for one thing. But but the argument that, well, I have to go back. I have to do these things. I have, That's where I belong. Well, she doesn't belong there, but she goes back anyway. She goes back. And yep. that's just like women across time saying like, well, so you got a job <laughs> in this city. I guess I'll move with you. And then whatever that's rare back in in that time 1979 it was a little different than you gee, know gee uh, mister i think i'm gonna go back in time with you you're famous i'm just gonna <laughs> quit my job and not give them any warning whatsoever nope everybody thinks i'm dead well, it'll yeah. be fine that's why the the newspaper ran that story that's she right vanished everybody thinks she's dead i i, oh, I like to think right. though that she's got the great advantage of knowing about all things that will happen in the 20th century and therefore up to 1979 yeah. and so she probably you know makes oh, some good yeah. investments and the bet on several <laughs> uh, bets on sporting the, events the derby and, yeah exactly right so a little bit of that um, yeah, yeah, it, so it is. The... <laughs> yeah, you're right. You know, it, it is the. I mean, the movie's got it's H.G. Wells, right? So he has. We know he has to go back because that's how it, that works, yeah. and she's put in this position, and that's why I thought it's like, are, are you going to do this movie? Are you going to be sad? And it's like, no, mm -hmm. she's going to she's going to go back to that time when women are treated terribly, and and she's going to do it for 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 the for her man who she's just met. But then they do have the time machine. Like, if it doesn't work out, she yeah, can just pop back to. 1979 i suppose i so here's here's a thing that i thought which is it doesn't have to be hg wells like that's the extra extra spice in the elevator pitch is it's not just it could be mm -hmm. the guy who who inspires the time machine who's a friend of hg wells another an inventor or something like that who does all oh, of this yeah. and then you don't have to tie it into the hg wells thing because oh, it does what? bring up all the questions about like this isn't actually the plot of the time machine and all that but you know what it's yeah, yeah it's it, it, it's it, it's yeah it's just fun the, the it's hook is hg wells chasing fun. jack the ripper you said at the beginning yep. of the episode that's the fun part that is it, <laughs> yeah. it does what it says on yeah. the tin i agree like 
like friend of H.G. Wells pursues guy inspired I, by Jack the Ripper, not as not much as fun. good. So my my <laughs> other thing that I would say then is, and maybe this would be a modern version of the same screenplay, is what I would like to see again for the Wells heads out there, for the for the Wells fans, is some more things that are very much like, oh, that's where he got the idea for this thing that's in one of his books <laughs> and, and the movie I, doesn't I guess have that's what things. the i guess that's what the time after time tv show was for was nah. exploring even more wells references yes i'm glad they didn't do that i get pretty tired of like a story about a a milne where everything <laughs> In a Winnie the Pooh story, actually happened around yeah. him. Literally, everything is a reference to yeah. things that yeah. important things that happened to him in life. Or Solo, a Star Wars story. But that would be the that would be the modern. Yeah, exactly. So that would be the modern take on it. But I I agree. The point here is more that he has it's H.G. Wells and he has a fun adventure and this is how he meets his wife and she goes back in time with him and then he writes stories that are not based on reality because there wasn't a, an alien invasion and nor are there <laughs> Morlocks and and Eloy. But he did get to see you know Cable. TV for a few minutes. So Nicholas Meyer does <laughs> does have this sort of like Victorian speculative fiction connected universe thing that yeah. is interesting he to him. Stuff. As as David as David mentioned, uh, Sherlock Holmes in the West End Horror, he he encounters uh, not not only is he trying to solve the Jack the Ripper uh, case, um, but he he runs into Gilbert and Sullivan. He runs into Bram Stoker. Wow. He runs into like all of these people who were around at the time. Um, but th those kinds of in references are something that, uh, that really interests Nicholas as a, as a writer. Um, but I, I, I'm with Monty. I'm glad that there was, there was some restraint at least with the movie. I don't know what the TV show did or where they thought they were going to take an ongoing, uh, regular TV series, um, with this premise. Um, but, but probably in that direction. And that's, that's not as interesting to me as, as the, as the kind of one-off and then, uh, yeah, uh, ignores some of the inconsistencies and yeah. again we're talking about time travel so uh what's consistent anyway yeah he doesn't he i mean maybe they decide well no you can't make it about the actual that's not in fact she could she would even tell him like no that you didn't you don't write about 1979 i can tell you i didn't uh, look i read the cliff's notes version of your books <laughs> In school, <laughs> I didn't read the actual books, but they're pretty sure that they, they don't mention the Palace of Fine Arts. And <laughs> they they get they get they get back to England, and uh, he says, "So, uh, um, you remember everything? I I didn't write down any notes. Ooh, here's the thing. I'm just I'm just not that big of a fan. No, Herb. it it could be that mm -hmm. while he was watching TV, he came across the George Pal movies, so he saw uh, the War oh, of the Worlds and he saw the Time mind Machine." Blowing. No, remember, he says, I have to write all these books. Fiction, yeah. I hope. So <laughs> yeah. he knows he's going to write a bunch of books and he might have gotten the titles, but that's all. But that's all. Yeah, I think so. And not one of them is the horror of the taxi driver. So he leaves that for Martin <laughs> Scorsese. Yeah. Yeah. Um, or Bullet. Fun movie. Yeah. It's fun. Yes. It is fun. The music. Mm -hmm. And now, now I say, you know, the opening assaults you with music, but the music throughout has, has a very... Uh, Star Trek the original series vibe to it and and it works it's it's really nice except for the opening <laughs> the opening is just uh, too much the opening when it when I started it up I thought I don't remember this opening and <laughs> I think maybe it's like a spoof of something and then they like mm -hmm. say you find out you're in a theater like for something and then it wasn't it's, it's a seriously you know meant seriously and I thought 
1979. That's my take on this movie for time travel. It's me who's traveled back to 1979 and said, huh, when you saw this the first time, the credits didn't bother you, you know, or when you saw the blood before, you were really afraid of it. So things were, you know, things were different the, the way they, you know, the aesthetics of opening credits, I guess. No, that's not true because some were really great. That one was just not that great. It was it had that young it. Frankenstein yeah. kind of feeling to it, and and the words coming forward at the at the yeah, camera. It, was, it, was it didn't just, fit the movie. I didn't no. think at all. So I was I wasn't expecting it. Um, I I did not remember the opening credits, mm. and but I don't know. Anyway, that was uh, that's um, it, you get into the movie and you forget all about them, right? The the only other thing in my notes is uh, one of my favorite uh, flips of a of an old running joke. It's it's something that I, I I think it started in an episode of the Frost Report with John Cleese, where he takes glasses off of a woman and goes, "Why, Miss Jones, you are beautiful." And and there's a point where Mary Steenburgen takes off uh, Herbert's glasses and and just says, "Why, Miss Jones, you're gorgeous." And it, it's just a nice flip on the the sort of traditional male chauvinist version mm. of that. It's just very nice. I wanted to mention my two favorite examples of him being old timey. Yes, which are one, <laughs> he always describes uh, Stevenson as flaxen haired. Yes. yes. <laughs> <laughs> Have you seen the, the flaxen-haired gentleman that came into the hospital this morning? Yeah. And they're like, oh, the flaxen-haired guy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and also, I really laughed when he said, she lives at 2,340 Francisco. Yes. <laughs> no one Which, says that. It's fun. In the phone book, I think it says San Francisco, so they're not even getting the road right. No, it's, Fran- it's Fran- Francisco is the street. Well, that's what mm. I thought, but the uh, the phone book listing is well. It's you know, it's twenty three forty Francisco San Francisco, um, and that uh, is maybe. that is um. To, by the way, just geography here, two blocks away from Palace <laughs> of Fine Arts, it is absolutely <laughs> accurate. I can't believe I'm so because it start because let me tell you, he doesn't get it right in the Star Trek in Star Trek four. I mean, which is directed by Nimoy, but well, he, he was involved directed, in the, yeah. he involved in the story. But but that that movie gets San Francisco geography entirely wrong. So <laughs> it's not, it was nice to see it done right here. So. Well, no, here's why he gets it entirely wrong because of the quantum entanglement issues caused by taking a bird of prey that far back in time. Yeah, I know that's they, how they, they broke San Francisco. They, they turned Jason. the Golden Gate Bridge the wrong way around and everything. <laughs> um. So, so a good entry, I think, in the summer of time travel. Um, little time travel, little romance, little, um, little, little, little murder, but you know, yeah. gentle murder. For me, for me, the 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 thing that holds the whole gentle. thing together there was fake blood all over that room. Yeah, I know, <laughs> and an arm. The, gentle by today's the, the standards. Thing that holds the, today's the thing that holds the whole movie together really is. I mean, in real life, Malcolm McDowell and Mary Steenburgen fell in love making this movie, and. as as uh, as uh, contrived or silly or you know fantastical as um as as the script uh and and the movie may you know play it um silly even at times 
you you can you can pick up on on that genuine connection between the two of them who mm-hmm. you know despite despite plot elements that um may be a little silly or a little bit far-fetched you believe that those two people are completely into each other and infatuated with each other yeah oh very much so the the scene where you know after their whole day like she winds up spending a whole day taking him around to all these things and they're just sitting on the couch at opposite ends staring staring forward being very proper and then she says if you don't take me in your arms right now i'm going to scream and there's just the look on both their faces is delightful in that moment and and yeah no it really comes through through the whole movie practically the first thing he says to her is i'm a fan of free love wait (laughs) (laughs) i have been told of this Mm -hmm. wink Considering, uh, as far as I can tell, he never had his clothes cleaned or took a shower. They, they must, she must have really been into him mm. to put up with him for those <laughs> few days. Maybe, maybe she took him to like Union Square or something and got him. Yeah, another, right. uh, maybe, suit maybe, maybe that two. first night together was was real. Uh, was uh, was was quite a lot for him, and he slept in a bit. And she she went. Okay, I've got to send his clothes to be do some dry clean. Do some laundry here. All right. Well, another another successful summer of time travel movie is uh, is a done. More successful. Yeah. This is a yeah. this is a fun one. I'm very glad I have watched it. And again, gold star for the geography. Uh, all the San Francisco people know what I'm talking about. Let me thank my panelists for joining me on this trip uh, forward to the far future of 1979. Monty Ashley, thank you. I was a little disappointed they didn't have a scene in Alcatraz. Mm. <laughs> but we saw it in the background almost, in the restaurant yeah spinning. almost every yeah. uh san francisco movie it's true david j lore thank you thank you i i will go uh diffuse myself now mm, that's right well i, I nod you, you're you, you have to do it yeah that's what happens <laughs> when your uh vapor is equalized moises chuyan thank you i was disappointed they didn't go to a san francisco giants game and that's why i'll say it's no time cop <laughs> <laughs> oh, I don't know. They, uh, so, I mean, Candlestick Park in 1979. Nobody wants to go there. Oh, and, no, no. And, uh, and thank you also to the flaxen-haired Gene McDonald. I didn't do that right, but thank you, Gene. Um, thank you, and I will be uh, continuing to be grateful for my right to vote. Yes. Mm-hmm. And thanks to everybody out there for listening to this edition of The Incomparable's Summer of Time Travel. Uh, we might be done, or we might be continuing, or, you know, who knows? Only next week will tell, or last week. I don't know. It's time travel, people. It's very confusing. We'll see you then. <laughs>